Grace to and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word which we receive with joyful hearts this morning is from the first or the only letter to the Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Therefore if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. The Apostle Paul reminds us in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 6, that it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Because Christ is our light, and light reveals truth, therefore, our gospel, our, our sermon text this morning from Philippians reminds us to be mindful of that. To keep our eyes and our minds focused on that light and that truth which Christ reveals so that when things are dark, our faith may rest on the assurance of Christ and not on the appearance of things of this world. Paul tells us in our sermon text, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection, and any mercy, hold on to these things. Paul, of course, isn't questioning whether these things exist in Christ. He knows full well that they do. But he's challenging us to consider what comfort, what what fellowship and what affection and mercy that we have received and to meditate on those things. In Stephen King's novel, The Body, he tells the story of four young friends, four boys around the age of 12, who go off searching for a, a dead body. They're hiking all day and when it gets close to sundown, it's not sundown yet, and they could have continued hiking for another hour or so, but they stop early. Not because they're tired, but because they're afraid of getting too close to the dead body and camping too close to the body at night. What if they see the boy's ghost? Logically, of course, that doesn't make that much sense. If ghosts were real, they're not, but if they were real, they would have just as much power during the day as during the night. And yet we all understand why they're a lot more afraid of a dead body at night than during the day. Darkness hides things that are quite obvious during the day. Even Jesus' disciples make the same mistake. We heard a few weeks ago how they were in the boat in the midst of the sea at night great wind blowing all around them. And when they saw Jesus coming to them in the darkness, they assumed it was a ghost. 
Even when Jesus reassured them, it's me. Peter didn't completely believe. He wanted further proof. If it's really you, Lord, let me come to you on the waves. Prove it, he said. The darkness hides things, doesn't it? It hides the truth of things that is clearly, clearly seen during the day so that at night a branch scratching the window could easily also be a skeletal hand. In the middle of the day, the bright noon sun, it's very obvious immediately, it's just a branch. But at night, our fears and our imagination takes over. The light comes and reveals the truth. Just as physical darkness can often obscure the truth of physical things, so that our mind and our fears take over, so also spiritual darkness can often obscure and hide the truth of spiritual things, so that once again our imagination and our fear take over. In the darkness of sorrow, pain, suffering, depression, anger, resentment, pride, or any other sinful or negative things, when these things overwhelm us, when we're covered with such darkness, it's easy to imagine the worst, to fear the worst about ourselves and about the others around us. I, re I somewhat recently witnessed firsthand a person whose life had been swallowed by so much darkness that it was hard for that person to believe anything good about anyone. The smallest word or action, even those meant to be friendly and comforting and uplifted, were taken as anger in, in a negative way. Metaphorically, that person saw skeleton hands everywhere instead of the love that was meant to be shared. Most of us have probably been, most of us have probably been on one end and maybe both ends of of such things, either seeing other people this way or being seen that way ourselves when all we're trying to do is to be friendly. Part of growing up, of course, is learning to remind ourselves, learning to trust what, that what we saw in the light is still true, even in the dark. Learning to know that it is just a tree branch. Part of growing up spiritually then also is learning to hold on to that truth that we see in the light of Christ rather than to give in to the fears that are so quick to overwhelm us in the sinfulness of this world. That's what Paul is talking about in our text. If there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Holy Spirit, any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one kind. Paul encourages us to always remember the light of Christ's affection, of Christ's mercy, of Christ's comfort, and carry that with us through the dark times. This, of course, is what God is talking about when he gives us the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does this mean? 
We should fear and love God that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, or say anything that might ruin his good name and reputation. But we should defend him, speak well of him, and explain all his words and actions in the best possible way. The Eighth Commandment reminds us that when we're tempted to give in to those fears and assume the worst about what other people are saying or doing, we should stop, go back to his word, Remember the Eighth Commandment, not jump to conclusions, but remember Christ's love and treat others the same way. The Eighth Commandment, of course, is not only talking about how we, how we talk about people to others, but it's even talking about how we talk about others in our own minds, how we think about them in our heart. The prophet Zechariah reminds us in chapter 8, verse 17, Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath, for all these things I hate, says the Lord. And Proverbs chapter 6 reminds us, These six things the Lord hates, yet seven are an abomination to him, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. God's law speaks about not just what we say, but even the attitude of our hearts. Not just because of what it does to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and other, our other neighbors as well, but also because of what it does to us. When we dwell on the evil of others, that drags us down into that negative way of thinking. The man who... Is, who sees a, a skeleton in every branch or the man who hears evil in every word, in either case, that man will, will live in fear, won't he? The Eighth Commandment warns us against this, but like all of God's commandments, all of, all of God's laws, the Eighth Commandment is nothing more than a sign. It's an important sign. It tells us danger. It tells us, don't go down that path, but... It doesn't really help us when we're already down that path. And so Paul, instead of dwelling on the commandment, points us back to Christ in our text, doesn't he? He tells us to go back to that light of Christ, to, to meditate on those things that we have received from Christ. If there is any consolation, if there is any comfort, if there is any fellowship, if there is any affection and mercy, what is it that we, we have received from Christ? Mercy, affection, fellowship, comfort. He emphasizes the comfort. He actually repeats it. There's two different words for comfort in our text. Consolation and comfort. Just like a, a parent who doesn't scold their child for being afraid of the dark, but rather reassures them, it's just a branch. I'm here with you. Everything's going to be okay. So Jesus, our Savior, does the same for us. He comforts us with those promises, with that, that reassurance, reminding us to hold on to his truth, his light, when we are going through dark times in our lives instead of giving in to the fears of our hearts. Remember people like Job. How easy it would have been for Job to, to give in to that fear that God was out to get him, that God was punishing him for some sin. And giving into that fear to give up on God and Christ. 
And yet instead, Job clings by faith to that confession that is so dear to us. I know that my Redeemer lives. We so often emphasize the last part of that sentence, my Redeemer lives, and it's well worth emphasizing. But that second to last word is really important too. My Redeemer lives. That confession, Job was not only confessing his faith in the resurrection, but in the fact that Jesus had died for his sins. Well, would have died for his sins. Tenses get a little tricky there. (laughs) That he knew that he was forgiven in Christ and that therefore whatever was going on, he didn't have to to fear. He didn't have to give in to that fear that there was no hope that God was punishing him. He could could rest in assurance that his God had forgiven him and was still with him. Or, Or Joseph who through all that tribulation of his life, he had that that promise that was given to him in those dreams that things would work out for good. Not only that things would work out for good, but that someday he would see his brothers and his father again and that they would even bow down to him. I think Joseph probably cared more about the first part, just that he would see him again more than the second part, that they would bow down to him. He had received that dream from Christ. He knew it to be true. He held on to that through the, the darkness, through the, the difficulties of his life, instead of giving into the fear that God had abandoned him, that he was alone. Now you may think, well, God hasn't given me a dream, but of course it's not true. He's given us the dream of the prophet Stephen, who saw heavens open. He's given us the dream of St. John and the visions of Revelation that remind us that even through all the difficulties uh, that are to come, Christ is with us. Or like Elisha, who at the beginning of his ministry saw Elijah ascend bodily into heaven and his whole life had that, that vision, that sh- more than a vision. It wasn't, it wasn't something in his mind. It wasn't a vision. It was, he was actually saw Elijah go up into heaven. Whatever troubles or doubts he may have had, he always knew what his end would be. And so we also know what our end will be, the glory of the resurrection that is to come. We have these comforts and so many more to hold on to, these consolations, these fellowships, these mercies from God to hold on to even in the darkest of times. The psalmist says in Psalm 94, verses 18 and 19, If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Rather than looking back on his own sin or on the sin of others and allowing those fears to grow inside of him, what does the psalmist do? He looks to the mercy of the Lord. Rather than fearing, allowing fears of the path ahead to overwhelm him, he says, no, I trust that if my foot is to slip, the Lord will hold it up and strengthen me. Rather than give in to the anxieties welling up within me, he turns his mind to meditate on the comforts of God which give delight to his soul. As we talked about with the children just a little bit ago. Allowing those comforts of Christ to be the things that float around inside your head rather than the fears and anxieties and the sins of ourselves or others. These are the things that we have received from Christ. And having received these things of light, these truths of the light, 
Paul in our text encourages us not only to hold on to them, but to share them with one another. Only when you're filled up with Christ's comfort and gospel will you have something to share with one another. There are, of course, other sources of, of joy in our life, other things that are noble and true, other sources of little lights that we remember and help us through dark times. But none of them are so deep or so assured or so lasting as the ones that we have received from Christ. What comfort, what consolation, what joy is it that Christ has given to you in his word, in his sacraments, in the people that he has given you in your life? Paul reminds us to meditate on these things, to hold on to these things, the cross of Christ above all else, that he died for our sins. And remember, in the darkness, not to let our fears get a hold of us, but to trust in the mercy of our God. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.